0: Well, today we are coming to the end of our study of the book of Ecclesiastes. And we'll be reading starting in verse 11, chapter 11, verse 7. And we'll be reading to the end of the book. As you're turning there, Phil mentioned that there's a lot of closets upstairs full of stuff. I was digging around in a closet one day and I found an old van seat. From a van that we don't even have anymore, so I don't know what happened to that van, but there's a van seat up there if anybody needs a van seat. Of course, it's probably been up there for decades, so who knows what, what's living in it. Well, let's hear God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. <clears throat> Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. When the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song are brought low, they are afraid also of what is high and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails because man is going to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find, out, find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings they are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books there is no end and much study is a weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Well, it is important <clears throat> for us to remember things. We are uh, civically called to remember things. We have Memorial Day. We have Veterans Day. We have various holidays that we celebrate to remember important historical events and to celebrate important people in our history. Uh, We are also uh, called to remember things in Scripture. You know, if we look back throughout the Bible, time and again, uh, the people of God are called to remember, to remember things. And of course, we we, we know like next week when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we'll be celebrating it in remembrance of christ the bible is filled with times when we are called to remember to remember i'm reminded of the line in the song here i raise my ebenezer uh, hither by thy help i'm come and you know we sing that song that hymn uh, great old hymn and we forget or we don't really know what in the world is an ebenezer Well, it's a reference to an Old Testament uh, account where a monument was set up to remember a great deliverance that God gave the people, uh, his people. And so they set up some stones as an Ebenezer, a stone of assistance is what the Hebrew means. Uh, Ebenezer is a Hebrew word. So it was a monument to remember how God had delivered the people. And so when we sing that in the song, we're remembering. Here I raise my Ebenezer. I'm, I'm remembering that God has brought me to this place with his help. And so we're called to remember. <clears throat> and the passage before us is no different. We're called to remember a couple of things. And, and I'm going to follow the, the way that I've been doing this throughout Ecclesiastes and give you the bad news first and really make you depressed and then I'll hit you with the good news at the end. So hang in there for a few minutes. It's going to get dark in, in the next uh, couple of points because the first thing that he calls us to remember is the harsh realities of life, the inevitability of death, and coming judgment. He begins with the, the verse 7, Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. That verse captures the bliss of being alive. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun when we have the ability to enjoy the sunshine. You know, we have the blessing of living in a place where the, with a desirable climate for most of the year. Sure, yeah, it can become unbearably hot and humid, in the summer, but uh, the rest of the, the year is, is very mild. Our winters are mild, even though they can be quite wet sometimes, but generally we have pleasant weather, and that makes uh, a difference in life. When life is filled with bright, sunny days, it, it cheers you, and believe me, I can testify that that is the case, because as you know, we lived in England And in England, you basically don't see the sun from November to March. It's just gloomy and cold and wet. In fact, the closer you get, of course, to December, the late December, when you have the shortest day of the year, uh, it was dark. I mean, dark by 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And the sun didn't come up until 9 o'clock in the morning. So you're taking children to school in the dark and you're picking them up in the dark, and most of the day is in the dark, and then during the the middle of the day it's rather gloomy, uh, it really does make you sad. When that first sunny day would come in March or April, you could just go outside and feel like the weight of depression just flew off your shoulders. You felt like a new person, and you realized that you had kind of descended into the depths of despair and darkness. Now don't get me wrong, we loved our time living in England, but seasonal affective disorder is a real thing. And people would sit under sun lamps and take St. John's wort, which is supposed to lift her spirits and other things to help through those dark months of the year. Well, hopefully our lives are long and full of sunshine. But Solomon wants you to remember that the days of darkness will also be many. The days of darkness will also be many. Solomon has continued to insist that by themselves, time and all things temporal will disappoint us. We have eternity in our hearts, so the temporal things of this life will ultimately disappoint us. Their light must give way to the days of darkness and the undoing of everything under the sun. And we must face the fact or else we'll be shattered by it. We'll live in despair and disappointment. How can joy survive in the face of death and the frustrations of life under the sun, as Solomon talks about? Well, it's a secret that only the next chapter will begin to unfold. Well, secondly, he talks not only is life filled with many dark days, life is also filled with vanity. Look at verse 8 at the end, makes the statement, all that comes is vanity. And that word vanity, as I pointed out earlier in this series, means meaningless, meaningless or empty, futile, useless, lacking in content, It also can have the nuance of meaning a breath or a vapor lacking substance, very transient. So life is filled with all of these things. Much we encounter in life is meaningless, or it seems that way. It can be empty, futile, useless, lacking in content. How many of you have ever asked the question, why? Why is my life so difficult? Why did this happen to me? Why did I get sick? Why did I lose my job? Why was I the victim? Why was my loved one taken so soon and we could keep going? The list goes on. And the term vanity also captures the brevity of life. It's a a breath or a vapor. Even if we live to a ripe old age, It really is quite brief. As I mentioned to to you before, life runs downhill. It picks up speed as you get older. And the years seem shorter and shorter, and they go by quicker. The overwhelming majority of us, once we die, will be forgotten in a few generations. We'd like to do our genealogy research, and you wonder... I knew a couple of my great-grandparents but know hardly anything at all about my great-great-grandparents and it wasn't so very long ago that they were alive. So life is filled with vanity and it's short. Thirdly, decay and death are inevitable. Verse 7, I mean sorry, verse 10 says that youth and the dawn of life are vanity and I'm Certainly, he's referring to its brevity. Youth and the dawn of life are brief. There's a saying, youth is wasted on the young. A person only appreciates their youth when it is gone, right? I was thinking about this this morning. It reminded me of a song from the 80s. Uh, that was written and originally recorded by the band Billy Satellite. That's not important to know, but I'm a music snob, so I have to share these things to get it just right. But the song was more famously covered by Eddie Money, and it was called I Want to Go Back. And here's how it goes. I was listening to the radio, heard a song. It reminded me of long ago. Back then I thought that things were never going to change, and it used to be that I never had to feel any pain. I know now that things will never be the same. I want to go back and do it all over, but I can't go back, I know. I want to go back because I'm feeling so much older, but I can't go back, I know. How many of us have ever thought, man, I wish I could go back in time knowing what I know now? Sometimes you think that because it was so much fun. Man, I'd like to go back to college Knowing what I know now, I could really savor it and have a great time and enjoy myself much more. But sometimes that thought is coupled with deep regret. You know, I wish I could go back and take a different fork in the road than the one that I took that has caused so much grief in life, a longing to take that different path. Well, life can be that way. Chapter 12, 1 tells us that there will be evil days and years to come where you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Then he paints a poetic picture of decay. You know, we can't go back, and what the future holds is the inevitable decay. Look at verse 2. This is really a poem from verse 2 through verse 7 of chapter 11. Before the sun, he says, remember your creator in the days of youth. Before the sun and the light and the moon, and the stars are darkened and clouds return after the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent, and the grinders cease because they are few. Now that word "grinders" can refer to uh, like a like a, uh, a place where you go to grind your flour, or you grind your corn, or or your other grain to make flour, but it can also refer to teeth. So this is talking about when you get older and your teeth fall out. You have few teeth. And those who look through the window are dimmed. That could refer to losing your eyesight, metaphorically. And the doors on the street are shut when the sound of the grinding is low, loss of hearing, and one rises up at the sound of a bird. You know how you get older, you start getting up earlier. I remember my grandparents were always up before the crack of dawn. And now it's happening to me. And all the daughters of the song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high, and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken, the pitcher is shattered at the fountain and the wheel broken at the cistern. Water symbolizes life. And this is water being spilled out uh, in this poetic language. In verse 7, the dust returns to the earth as it was and the spirit returns to God who gave it. So it really is a picture, a metaphorical picture of decay. And throughout Ecclesiastes, Solomon has reminded us of this disturbing truth, that death is inevitable. No matter how we seek to avoid death or even speaking of death, no matter how much our culture tries to sanitize death, we don't call it dying, we call it passing away, which is really bad theology. But it comes to us all eventually. So death and decay are inevitable, and then after that, of course, the judgment. Chapter 11, verse 9, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. You can live however you want to, but there's going to be a day of judgment. You need to be mindful that a day of judgment is coming. And then the final verse, verse 14, chapter 12, God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. So our good or evil things will be brought to judgment. Of course, the New Testament picks up this. Hebrews 9, 27, it is appointed for a man to die once, and after that comes judgment. Or 2 Corinthians 5, 10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or or evil. So the day of judgment is coming. Solomon wants us to remember these things. You know, he sticks our face in the harsh reality of, of life and the difficulties of life, the decay that we're undergoing in our lives and the ultimate death that we will all face, and then the judgment seat of Christ that that we'll all appear before. Solomon wants us to see these things but not just to be a killjoy. He's not just trying to make you depressed. You know, He didn't just wake up on the wrong side of the bed the day he wrote Ecclesiastes. No, he wants you to be joyful in spite of all these things, but he wants you to be realistically joyful. Look, he says, verse 8, if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. He wants you to rejoice in the years that you have. Verse 9, rejoice, O young man, in your youth and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. You should be joyful as a young person and as an old person. And verse 10 is also parallel. Remove vexation from your heart. Put away pain from your body. And that word pain is evil and the word body is flesh. So you can take that to be a physical ailments, but you can also take it, spiritually as well. Vexation. You know, you can go through your life being vexed at all these things that we're faced with. The dark days, the decay of our bodies, the the inevitability of death and judgment. Or they're just the problems of life. They can vex us. But he's saying, remove vexation from your heart. So Solomon wants us to be joyful. He wants us to, in spite of the difficulties of life, death, and judgment, he wants us to experience true joy. And the only way you can do that, and this is my second point, remember your Creator to experience joy in life. He's pointing us, as he's done throughout this book, he wants us to see uh, life under the sun and all of its nasty reality so that we will turn to the Creator, so that we will remember the Creator, acknowledge the Creator, Fear God and obey his commandments. Notice that this is very personal. He's not just talking collectively, though he's, I mean, obviously people throughout the history of the church have read Ecclesiastes and we're all influenced by it, but the, the commands here are all very personal. He wants you to remember your creator as soon as possible in the days of your youth, and we're not getting any younger. So as soon as possible... Remember your creator. And if you're not remembering your creator, if you're not acknowledging him and living uh, in light of the Creator, then you're missing out on the very purpose of life. Why were we placed on this earth? What's it all about? Well, to put it in succinctly in the shorter catechism, question one: you know, what is the chief end of man? What is the chief purpose of man? The chief end of man or purpose of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. See, his, his desire is to have a relationship with us. He created us and He wants to know us. He wants to have a relationship with you. And sometimes we forget that. Or we act like He doesn't exist. Have you ever had a person you thought was your friend ignore you? How Painful, that is. We act like that towards God sometimes. We go through our lives without any thought of Him being around us at all. But the fact of the matter is, He's always with us. In fact, by His Spirit, He dwells in those who are His children. But yet we can live as if He doesn't exist, be practical atheists, even though with our lips we profess to believe in the Lord and trust Him. We need to remember our Creator, and, the, and remember that He wants to know us. He wants to be our God, and He wants us to be His people. And He wants to have communion with us, a relationship with us. And He has sent Jesus Christ, His Son, into the world to die for sinners so that we can be cleansed and be able to come before a holy God and have a relationship and be welcomed into His family. And next week we'll be invited to the table to come sit down at this table. Who's invited? Who sits at your table week in and week out? Or day in and day out? It's your family. They're always going to be at the table with you, eating the meal. And that's what God is doing there in the table. Remembering Christ and remembering that we're part of this family through Christ. So live quorum Deo, I say here. Verse 13 of chapter 12, at the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. You know, Have an awe and a respect for God and remember God. Remember your creator. And live, Coram Deo, means before his face, before the face of God, before God. R.C. Sproul made that uh, phrase famous. He used it quite a bit in his writings. and Sometimes he would sign off on an article or something, Coram Deo, R.C. Sproul. Well, Coram Deo, he says... He says, this phrase literally refers to something that takes place in the presence of or before the face of God. To live coram Deo is to live one's entire life in the presence of God, under the authority of God, to the glory of God. To live in the presence of God is to understand that whatever we are doing and wherever we are doing it, we are acting under the gaze of God. God is omnipresent, and there is no place so remote remote that we can escape his penetrating gaze. That's that's different than living a compartmentalized life where we go to church on Sunday, but we don't have a relationship with God or act like we have a relationship with God the rest of the week. So if we want to know true joy in this difficult life that we live, we need to have a remembrance of our Creator on a moment-by-moment basis to live in relationship with him that has been made possible through Jesus. And to live joyfully, he says, rejoice in the Creator. Rejoice in the one who has given you life. And that's not just a feeling you have. Joy is a command. We're commanded to rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice, Paul said. And you can't really command someone to feel something. You know, I can't just point at you and go, okay, you feel sad right now. It doesn't work that way. Or you feel happy right now. You know, you can't make someone do that. But joy is a conscious choice. Joy is something you do. And that's why he says rejoice in the Creator. Find your joy in the Creator. Find your joy in the Lord. Make yourself rejoice in Him. And look to Him and understand who He is and what He's done for you that it might bring you joy in life. Count your blessings and give glory to God. He's given you life. He's given you salvation. He's referred to in this passage not just as the creator, but the shepherd. He has given us, and you'll see in the next section, he's given us his word and it's come from one shepherd. He's a shepherd. He's, he's, he's got a flock that he's gathered And he's watching over the flock and caring for the flock. And if you're trusting in him, you're part of his flock. And you can rejoice that you have been included in. So live joyfully. Rejoice in the Lord. Make a conscious effort to daily rejoice in the Lord. And live wisely. Uh, the, The last section of this, the epilogue to Ecclesiastes, Talks about Solomon. Besides being wise, this is verse nine of chapter twelve. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. So you, you know Solomon. He he has uh, written much of the book of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon as well. This is wisdom literature. He wants to share with you uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit some good things for your life to help you in your life so that you can know true joy. Words of delight. Verse 11, the words of the wise are like goads. You know, a goad is a sharp stick that you use to herd cattle or herd some other animal. You don't want them to go there, you give them a little poke. So the words of the wise, wisdom literature like Ecclesiastes is pointing us into the right direction corralling us, shepherding us. And they're like nails firmly fixed. They're, they're solid. They are firm. You can hang your hat on them. You know, we say that. You can hang your hat on that. Well, the words of wisdom that are given in Scripture are trustworthy. You can depend upon them. And they are given by one shepherd. You know? Yes, they were given by Solomon and Moses and David and the prophets, and Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Peter, Paul, all of these words were given to us, but they come from one shepherd. My son, verse 13, beware of anything beyond these. Let the word inform your life, let the word inform your rejoicing in the Lord. Read it with the intent that I'm going to find joy in the lord not just to check a box every day but to find joy in the lord to learn about him to to have a relationship with him that's how you have a relationship with someone you get to know them better you understand more about them and who they are and you know all the things they like and what they do and that's a growing relationship and that's how you come to know the lord through his word Find your joy in the Lord. In these dark times, as we come through the years of decay and to our death, and as we think about judgment, you know, we need a Savior in that day especially. And if we're just standing on our own merit, well, we'll be lost forever because we're not worthy of this. But God has loved us so much that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world, to bring it into judgment. He came that we might have life and have it abundantly. Abundant life. Remember your Creator. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, we thank you again, as always, for your Word. And, Lord, it is, uh, it is a box of treasure And uh, we pray, Lord, that you would help us to take that treasure and hide it in our hearts that we might serve you and glorify you every moment of our lives. Forgive us, Lord, where we have compartmentalized our lives or forgotten about you or acted like you didn't exist or just flat out ignored you when we wanted to go in our own direction. Lord, we pray that you would pull us back to yourself. Use this word as a goad to shepherd us into the right place. And Lord, we pray that we would taste and see that the Lord is good, that we would, that we would depend upon the promises of your word, and that we would see in doing so and trusting you and living by faith in what you've told us here, that our lives would find true joy, not just the fleeting joys of worldly pleasures, but true, lasting joy with depth. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.